one. Hello again, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to your favourite podcast, The AJ Roberts Show. Today we are joined by Dr. Peter Chan. Um, I think we should really introduce him as the GP that likes to do things different. Um, I was really excited to get Peter on the show. I've been uh, connected with him some time on social media and I've been loving his content, uh, really thought provoked um it's you know it really really gets you thinking about like what's happening right now from his own experiences um and it's good to see somebody in the medical professional kind of really saying it how it is um and that's not just because like it's the narrative that i follow and many others follow um it's logic you know at the end of the day and that's what i've you know really loved about peter's content so thanks for joining us today peter you're very welcome, AJ. Thank you for inviting me to your podcast. And uh, it's my privilege and pleasure to be able to share, you know, some of the frontline experiences. And uh, hopefully that I can, you know, I, I, I'm in a position to acknowledge, acknowledge some of the suffering and, uh, and also share um, what the mainstream media is not really portraying me. Yes, absolutely. And, that, you know, that's one of the main concerns really at the moment and has been for some time um, is the sheer lack of debate um, the sheer lack of the truth from the mainstream media. Um, we all know that they're you know, heavily funded by the likes of uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, obviously the BBC are in the pockets of many people. Um, and the narrative is quite clear to see um, which way they're driving things. Uh, but from a uh, personal uh, standpoint, where or what or when would you say was the, did the kind of penny drop that something really wasn't right here when things started to unfold? Okay, well, so that, that moment actually happened quite some time ago. I mean, this happened before the pandemic. Um, I've, been, I've been a GP for 12 years now. And uh, it's, uh, you know, I've been through quite a few, um, I've been involved in all sorts of health policies, commissioning, training, recruitment, <clears throat> trying to sort out the kind of a, a, the, the, old, uh, the quite high level overarching public health issue within community settings and so on. And so certainly that's you kind of learn some of the common behavior and you form your own conclusion, really. And I was already skeptical anyway in the first place because a lot of the healthcare service behavior is not really, it's really not about patients' interests. It's more to do with, um, you know, it's for politics, finance, and organizational perpetuity. And that is a powerful insight for anyone to, you know, listen, receive, and execute. Any, uh, any diktats, mandates, guidance, whatever you want to call it, and so on. Um, so I'm, I'm already a little bit peeved off on how the health service has, you know, utilized very different reforms, policies, and so on, really not in your, your, my, your my interest, and so on. Um, so that was, that was my background in that. So I tend to tread very carefully and think very critically around any health policies and so last year even before the lockdown happened and so on we got a lot of correspondences from uh, nhs england and also from the coroner's office basically saying that brace yourself for a bad time and uh, what really got me that what, what really got the hair on back on the back of my hair prick is that we got a letter we got a memo from the coroner's office to say that they're about to change the death reporting structure, and they're going to fast line all inquests 
and then you know you don't you, you basically that like, you don't have to even to know you don't even have to know the patient anymore. you know anyone who died within the, the, the last 28 days and uh, you know if you if you know if, if you suspect any respiratory tract infection label it with a certain label and that's fast tracked and so on i mean as a clinician you can you know you, you understand that that that's very uncomfortable because a if you don't know the patient how do you work out the probable cause of death if there's a real serious condition going on it's not right that we have a duty to understand and study so we can we can we can we can so we can we can understand the weakness exploit it and actually come to some kind of a treatment option for the benefits of the public Mm. That's that's my that's but well, that's certainly the kind of a um, the doctrine I operate to. So that was very uncomfortable. Mm. And were there were there any other um, like peers of yours in the same situation with the same feeling at the time? Um, it, this is where that's I need to be a bit cautious and uh, be non-judgmental because everyone's experience is different. Everyone, every clinician mm. has a different view and a different background experience and so on. And as a, uh, if, you, if you were a, uh, a company or business, and if your livelihood purely depends on governmental funding, you're not going to bite the hands that feed. Mm. Okay. And I work as a local or independent freelance general practitioner. So my loyalty is not really to do with my paymaster. My loyalty lies within the patient who I see and serve. Mm -hmm. So I have a slightly different standpoint in the first place. I suspect that they probably felt something not quite right. And but at the time that there was a lot of media attention around, you know, people from black and uh, an ethnic minority background really unfavorably affected by COVID and so on. Even though numbers were in the tens and so on, not hundreds of thousands, they have created such a fear. We drove fear into my colleague's psyche. A lot of my Indian and overseas doctors were redeployed. They were not allowed to see patients. So, mm -hmm. so I suspect that kind of a pre pretext and that conditioning probably affected a lot of they thinking and behaving at the time. So I'm not entirely sure how many people start to see it for what it is, because you couldn't sort of get, you couldn't sort of get your head above the parapet amongst all the fear. But that's been the key driver, hasn't it? Like, it doesn't matter what sector you're in, even as medical professionals, the, the, the fear that's been installed into individuals and into their psyche has just been um, commendable, really. Like, if, I mean, I, I've said it a few times uh, on more sort of entrepreneurial chats i think any business owner or um person in, in sales can probably take a lot from what the governments have done around the world and actually put you know use those tactics in a more in a positive way and actually gain a lot of you know traction and sales and following like because of how the government have done it with you know their own populace um it's it's quite re remarkable really and uh it just goes to show you, you know, whereas every, the clear and obvious thing that many people have turned around from the early days, even to still now, is like, well, why should I listen to you and not my GP? Well, the uh, you know, based on that and so on, I mean, we we also have to be very clear about you know, clinicians are really heavily influenced not by you know autonomous intrinsic 
thinking, but it's very, they're very much influenced by external and financial incentives. Mm. So I know this sounds really critical, but you know, a spade, I, you know, a spade is a spade. I'm going to describe as it is. Yeah. So, and uh, so, and another, another thing that's very um, uh, that, that really got um, you know really got my attention was that uh, you know during well, amongst all the theory you know that's for creation period and so on leading up to the initial lockdown, um, because something didn't feel quite right. All big digging and so on, and uh, you know when you start to read the Public Health England and uh, and so on how they were tracking the you know, prevalence incidences and fatality rates and so on you can think well that's not actually too bad really you're talking about you know one percent over the over the general public and around about three to you know three to ten percent amongst the vulnerable you know confirmed cases you kind of think well do you know what that's actually not that bad mm-hmm. you know that's compared to a really bad season i remember 2009 2010 that year was awful Absolutely awful. I couldn't get to I couldn't I couldn't get to the undertaker quick enough to verify deaths. You know, body were piling up. You know, NHS completely overwhelmed, and the excess mortality that year was really really high. That you know, twenty twenty is still not comparable to two thousand nine and ten. So so you know, something so something didn't quite feel right because of that. And so I I was digging all the details anyway. I, mean, I remember I got really annoyed with BBC's report about, you know, this Chinese couple in Singapore, there were the index case and were, they were really paying attention to this, you know, fable journey about how this could spread and so on. You know, I think, well, actually, that's how virus work. You know, this is no exception. Flu virus, coronavirus, and all, that, all the other viruses, all they're working that way. You know, we're not really talking about you know the you know like things like Ebola virus with mortality approaching forty or fifty percent. I mean, if that was the case, let's panic. We're talking about a condition that, as a clinician, we should have the ability to assess. what well, yes, you know, I'm not saying that it's not bad, but I'm saying it's not that significant to cause such a public health panic. Yeah, and and the thing is, even as a you know a former soldier and a civilian, I've uh, you know I've I've seen the fallout of a real pandemic with Ebola in Sierra Leone, and you know like you said, the, the mortality rates are forty fifty percent, and that's a you know you only got to speak to the people there, and I speak to the villagers quite a lot still, obviously to do with my charity and that, and uh, you know they t- they'll tell you outright there was literally people dropping dead in the streets, you know. And uh, whereas I, I, well, I have the only people really dro- dropping down at the minute are people having cardiac arrests, um, which is absolutely awful to see. Um, but again, not being reported on. Um, from, you talk from a financial incentive. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk. Loads of people share on social media. Oh, yeah, well, you know, GPs are paid like £12.58 or whatever it is, like per jab they give, and then they get an extra tenner bonus. Um from your experience, is there sort of like real truth in that? And if so, is that actually just a bonus for the GP or is that like cover costs for staff and things like that? Well, to answer that question, unfortunately, I don't have a straightforward, quick answer. I probably need to sort of describe how funding works around health service. Mm. So the funding comes from Department of Health and fills it down to NHS England and so on, and then they start a commission service below that. They form into commission group and so on. So each GP practice will receive funding for the basic 
care for individuals. So you get a global sum. Okay. On top of that, you get the more service you provide, the more incentive in finance you get. And that's called prof and uh, enhanced services. So during 2020 and so on, they basically say, look, guys, I know things are going to get really busy. So quality, uh, quality outcome framework, prof, all that work you can stop. So you can you can you can utilize and redeploy your resources to look after the important issue. And uh, so, and you know, all this quaff work is basically things like uh, prevention work, monitoring people with chronic diseases, and the cancer screening and things like that. Pretty important stuff, really. Come <clears throat> but they still get the money, <clears throat> okay. And uh, and on top of that, um, you also get with, when it comes to vaccination. Again, it becomes another enhanced service payment. So, so if you achieve certain targets, you get certain payments. So basically, that they are two things here. They get paid anyway for looking after the population. They get paid for providing screening or chronic disease service, which they were told they don't have to do, but they still got paid. And on top of that, you have incentive to provide vaccination program. And so on. So most, most practices are struggling financially anyway. So you can understand that if someone throws you a lifeline or, or, or a raft jack and so on, you're going to take it. You know, yeah. unfortunately, you know, health service providers is no different to anyone, any one of us. You know, we will always seek survival as basic instincts first before you yeah. get that position to have that self-actualization to realize actually there's a broader picture. Mm. And the reality is like that initial temporary fix, so to speak, where if they were struggling financially is probably going to bite them in the ass for quite some time, not only through knowledge of the general public but also the massive backlog now of like appointments and people struggling to be seen you know cancer screenings that have not happened um misdiagnosed problems it's just like into the millions now so the re reality is is the reality is it's literally going to bite them in the ass and they're not going to get the funding to pick up the pieces are they it's a cause and consequences this butterfly effect and so on you know by shifting delaying work you just, you know, the blood doesn't disappear. I mean, biology doesn't stop because, you know, because someone says, hey, by the way, you know, you know there's something here, this is concentrating on that and leave everything else. No, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Mm. You know, condition continues to happen. And those work that wasn't done in 2020 has been delayed till later 2020. Yeah. And huge wasting this over 5 million is a reflection of poor access to referral services poor screening processes. And on top of that, you know, they have three, it's you know, two other really, really horrible things to deal with. Now we've got this sudden explosion of access where they come COVID. And then when people come in, they have not just one issue, they have several different issues because of delay, because fear, and because they're really pissed off. And so it takes longer. So they've got three things to deal with, you know, backlog, complexity, and also general negative psychology when they come in. Mm. Yeah. And well, I, I always talk about like what a time to be alive, but I wouldn't like to be in the medical profession right now, if obviously at GP level, but also obviously those in the NHS that are facing possible um, expulsion in uh, April. You know, they've already been, already been warned off about it. Like Merry Christmas. We need you over yeah. the winter. Um, but as of certainly, you know, next, early next year, you're no longer to be wanted if you don't succumb to this uh, medical experimental jab, which that, that is what it is. Um, 
And, and as I keep pointing out to like loads of people that keep arguing the case and say, well, I think, you know, all healthcare workers to have it because they've got to protect other people. Like that sentence in itself is what's been drummed into people through fear is that it's all about protecting other people. So it almost gives you that element of guilt. Um, you know, we know full well that healthcare professions haven't been mandated to take, have to have the flu jab every year. Um, same in Australia and all other countries. But now, you know, what we're seeing in Australia is absolutely abhorrent. Um, and doctors over there, like I've, I've recorded an episode yesterday uh, with Dr. Brennan uh, from Queensland. And I've had, obviously have a Queensland nurse on as well. You know, they are literally threatened with and thrown had you know everything and the book thrown at them for they're saying anything negative about not necessarily just the vaccines but even like the government mandates it's like it's, it's horrendous and i know it's not that bad over here uh at the moment but it, is there an element of um threat to the gps that they may be struck off if they don't carry on with the narrative because i'm saying this because there is a lot of gps who are willingly telling people they need to get the second jab after they've had like severe adverse reactions to the first one and I know firsthand because these people message me and email me through my website to tell me about it and ask for advice because they can't believe what they're hearing um, and many people have ended up having their second one because of the advice from their GP and are now in absolute world of hurt um, some people you know one lady I know is in, in a motorized scooter to go to work it's, uh, it's heartbreaking to hear that. Um, again, unfortunately, I don't have a straight answer, a quick answer for you, AJ. I need to describe some context mm. so that people understand. Um, in terms of how uh, GPs or primary care uh, work around how they decide what to offer and what to enforce and so on, okay, um, it's not simply whether they're making that clinical decision or not. In fact, a lot of, a lot of time that is not a clinical decision, it's a political mm. And uh, the, you know, the, 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 way, the, the way it works is that, you know, it's, it's, it should work like this. So you take an, an individual circumstances and you work out his or her risks. And then you work out the potential benefits. You have this informed decision-making processes. You, you, you talk about what the benefit, what the side effects, what are the uh, alternatives, what are the, you know, what, you know, what are the option of having no treatment? So that's what you will have to do to have a proper informed consent. Mm. But none of that is happening. If you don't um, get informed consent from patients, when something goes wrong, they come to you, you become liable to any you know, uh, damages or harm or even death. Okay? But all that changed a few years back where NHS England has taken over the basic indemnity of all healthcare workers. So there's less to pay, and then they feel more, uh, they, they feel more sort of comfortable in doing the bidding of Department of Health. Yeah. The indemnity lies within them and so on. So a lot of people stop thinking because A, if you're not going to get sued, why spend the time consenting people? Mm. And B, if there's so, so much work and it's actually easier just to get a, a, slight, a lower pay staff to come in and do that dirty work for you. So you actually get higher volume and higher margin. Why wouldn't you do it? Mm -hmm. So none of this is to do with clinical reasons. 
this, you know, from, from my perspective, it's purely, you know, political driven reason. You know, come on, guys. Okay, look, we're going to start this really amazing program of vaccinating the population, trying to achieve herd immunity, but we don't have the information for that. So we can't tell you whether that's going to work or not. It's too early, but I want you to do it. And these are the money that you get incentivized to do so. Okay, and then they start to get, they're, they're very good at doing uh, admin stuff and they get the receptionist to, to admin team to start creating this automatic loops on computer system where people get invited and so on. I mean, you know, I, de I dare say that, you know, most, you know, most general uh, primary care clinicians, whether that's GP, nurse practitioner, or vaccinator, they haven't got a clue to that A, it was initially on the emergency use only, yeah. B, haven't got any information on potential benefits. I mean, how many people read the original three research paper of the actual risk reduction of less than 1%? Yeah. They get told by the way, it's between 80 to 95% effective, just like any other drug company coming to the practice selling you their products. You go, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, use it, try a bit. No one questions that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you touched on it right there. You hit the nail on the head. Is uh nobody even the general public in, in like on mass know anything about actual risk reduction and uh, it's all they're always fed is it the relative risk reduction not, so, you know it's not it's not it's, it's not something that uh, um, that most clinicians will offer but it should be i mean yeah. i do used to be i used to be a surgeon before general back then, before that become a gp so if i don't tell people the risk before i cut them open guess what i'm getting to sticky water yeah. And I still do minor procedure, I still do joint injection. I have to tell people, look, you know, I can help you here, but I can't guarantee it. You know, based on my results, you're likely to have 70%. So seven out of 10 people might benefit from this. Okay. But there's 1% chance that things may go wrong or you might get inflation. So knowing that, what would you like me to do? Yeah. So that's the process most people need to go through. Mm. Yeah. Which, yeah. You know, no. But then you've got people who are like, in essence, volunteers sitting there, like people queuing up outside, you know, just coming in, rolling their, rolling their uh, a sleeve up, jab, next one, jab, next one, jab. And I guess uh, from a like an incentive point of view, if you're in that position where you are getting your £12.58 or plus your £10 bonus and that, you're going to be more interested in putting jabs in arms, as old uh, Boris likes to say, um, instead of like checking, you know, Doris's in ingrown toenail out. Um, you know, and that, that's that's kind of like the reality of it, I guess. Um, but it's it's such a shame, you know. Some of these uh, messages I get from people are just it it is really frustrating when the population has just had it drummed into everybody to protect the NHS. Now, don't get me wrong, there's some amazing doctors and nurses out there people that are in really sticky situations you know it's like they're they go to work every day not liking what's going on but like can't really do anything about it as such because they're a single parent um you know they've got kids to feed and a roof over their head and stuff like that and i get you know i, I speak to these people they just want it all to be over it's just like they're living in the worst nightmare ever um but at the same time there's just as many people out there who are just hell-bent on you know, the financial side of things. Uh, and unfortunately, some of these GPs and uh, and specialists, clinicians, have had a lot of these patients for a number of years. And it's almost like they've literally just turned their back on them for the sake of 
finance or, or, or threats of like you know losing their practice and stuff and it's just just you know it's just enough to make you sick and like you're saying it's we talked about earlier it's not nothing dissimilar to what's happened in like 1942 Germany where they're you know they're, they're bringing in these medical interventions with the process and goal of creating a two-tier society um where you know you're you're, you're unclean um as you know a lot of the, the Jews were labeled as and that's what they're doing now obviously Austria Germany you know they're, they're locking down the uh, the unvaccinated um funny enough isn't that where it all started in um in in you know World War two um it's just it just blows my mind the irony of it and the fact that obviously the Jewish country like Israel is like one of the most vaccinated countries in the world which has like the highest case rate and the highest um you know death rate as well and they're already promoting the fourth facts fourth booster to people uh and cutting people out of society already like with the covid passes um and i, I think this is where people need to check in on themselves and see where their loyalties have been i guess a lot of it classic example again you know I talk about it quite a lot at the minute is behavioral science classic example again is a lot of people just willingly went to the doctor because they don't want the responsibility. They, they, you know, people just want to feel like they're part of something. You know, it's, it's one of those like life, life characteristics. Um, you want to feel part of something, but then if something does go wrong, you're like, wow, you know, if I do get an adverse reaction, it's my doctor's fault, isn't it? Um, and, and a lot of people have that attitude like towards a lot of things. You know, I'm a big believer in how you do one thing is how you do everything. And I think a lot of society leads that path. Hence why we're seeing what we're seeing. <clears throat> You kind of mentioned a very important point, uh, AJ, and that's we don't really learn from history at all, really. And uh, you know, we it, it's something I think it's easy to make the parallel comparison between now and 1930s and 40s Europe, European history, and so on. There's an uncanny similarity in that, uh, you know, we, you know, at time of adversity and so on, segregation discrimination becomes key driver for a lot of authoritative and totalitarianistic and totalitarianistic behavior. And I guess, you know, see how that worked out for us. And that was, that was only 70, 80 years ago. So and there's still people who was old enough to remember that. But yeah, again, um, no, I, I hate to offer any kind of a, a theory to what's going on. But, you know, if I, if I can just describe some of the fundamental human psychology yeah. to help try to make sense of what's going on here. Um, you know, when, when, you know, when 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 a when, when a kind of a, a entity or government or organization has it has you know, has this what this power upon you and creating the environment where the where the where the starting point is no longer love support but is more to power and the fear and so on. The basic human, the, the basic human instinct is going to start to get, to get triggered. You know, the human human instinct is very powerful. It will overcome any thinking or logic side and so on. So if you create fear, and you're gonna, that's going to lead to emotional response, and that emotional response will always want to ensure that you can survive. So you start to seek security, you start to seek safety, you start to seek paternalistic authority figure who can protect you. Is that not what's going on at this stage? Mm. Oh, by the way, COVID is so deadly. If you catch it, you're sure to die. Yeah. No, that's not the case. COVID is a really funny disease. 
these people preferentially affected totally people who's got metabolic syndrome, for example, diabetes, hypertension, obesity, cancer, immunosuppression, okay, and, the, and, and Alzheimer's or dementia. And almost exclusively do not affect the rest of the population with, with the exception of a few. So it's not universally fatal or lethal. And the vaccination is not also universally beneficial, 95%. Let's, let's break that down. What that means is that, you know, it helped 80, 0.88% of the population who took it compared to 0.84% of the population that, uh, that didn't take it and 0.04. And the difference is still less than 1%, but because they calculated based on relative or ratio, it was on 95%. And that's what they're the big numbers. People just go, ooh. Because when you say 95%, okay, we have to be absolutely honest. When you say to this person on the street, you have 95% of effectiveness of this treatment, they will automatically assume you give 100 of this treatment to people, mm. 95% and 95 out of 100 will benefit. And you explain why actually only one out of 100 will benefit and so on. They go, hey, are you, are you some kind of nutter telling me that 95 equal, 95% equals one out of 100? Ah, fuck off, get off, get off. Yeah. And so on. And this is the power of manipulation of numbers, figures, and stats. Yeah, and again, and they do it on these uh, conferences or these press conferences, don't they? They put it into graphs and stuff and they just use like big percentages to make you think like oh my god it's a massive rise again it's all number manipulation and the stats that they use in the first place aren't even correct <laughs> you know stats and are very easy to manipulate yeah <clears throat> there is one rule i follow throughout my professional career okay and there's there's also a common sense say if it if, it, if it's too good to be true it probably isn't true mm. and when you get big numbers from pharma saying you know our stuff is really good, you know, it's 80, 90% effective. So well, let me share some, let me share, let me share something with some common thing. Okay. Most effect, you know, most of the other very effective treatments only has relative risk and uh, only have relative benefits from about anything between 40 to 60%. Mm. That's yeah. all. And anything above that is stuff, you, see, you know, that gets a bit fishy. You need to mm. dig a little bit. And when you approach the 80, 90% and so on, I think there's a very high probability that someone really has fit all the, number, the numbers. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. But that's been the way all the way along, isn't it? Same with the modelling. I've got, uh, you know, that, uh, the awesome modeller Neil Ferguson, um, who's got every model wrong every single time for a good couple of years now. Um, I'm pretty sure if you were in any other profession and you got something so serious wrong constantly for two years. You wouldn't even be in the job for two years. I mean, he's uh, he's in a very peculiar position, really, in that uh, when it comes to public health policy and so on, they always adopt the precautionary principle, always mm. the worst case scenario, because from that standpoint, anything that happens that's better than the worst case scenario, mm. you can yes, we're fantastic. You know, we made policies that really have saved our population. Mm. But the reality is that the worst case scenario is always wrong anyway. Mm. Best case, the best case scenario is always wrong. It's the truth is somewhere in between. Yeah. 
So basically, you know, Neil Ferguson was absolutely you know, you know, complicit, complicit in all the you know, laws of harm done to the general British public and so on. I mean, remember, remember the foot and mouth disease and so yeah. on? Decimation of British agriculture, you know, sort of farming industry, because his prediction was so fantastically and, uh, and you know, <laughs> spectacularly wrong. Mm. Yeah, and it's again these people are these people are put in the public eye. I mean, uh, we've got like experts, you know, like Dr. Hillary, um, that just I don't understand how that gentleman's still on TV. I really don't. Um, it's clear, if, you know, if you haven't worked out yet, it's clear and obvious to see he's like financially backed and the things he comes out with, he doesn't even believe himself. Um, you can just tell by the way he uses his eyes when he talks. Um, clear and obvious and again but these people get airtime because again it's all about all about the narrative um did you see the other the other day Sajid Javid escort that Sky News correspondent to go get a booster jab um I must confess I don't watch the meet I don't watch news anymore yeah I don't I don't watch it I just sort of seen it shared a few times so the health secretary who's got no qualifications in health um escorted he was doing an interview and then he escorted the sky news correspondents to the hospital to go and get his jab because his booster because he said he hey, had to wait a little bit and he was like no you can probably get it now come on let's go oh, I'll, I'll take you there and then he so he basically escorted this gentleman doesn't doesn't know a single thing about the guy's medical history whether he's had a reaction to any of them like any of it and literally on live tv went and escorted him there like when in history would that ever happen i was literally looking at it going there must be genuine GPs like yourself and doctors and clinicians around the country screaming at the TV, what is a jump in it and give him a jab, a proper one. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Really. Without, you know, without having seen the, uh, uh, the, the snippets of that, uh, of that video and so on, just based on the description, it's just so wrong on so many fundamental sides. And so on. Yeah. That's coercive. Yeah. You're absolutely right. In a ways informed consent of a procedure, you know, there's no discussion around the person's need. Uh-huh. And you know, it's Javid, is he is he is he a clinician now? Exactly. Or, or is he a god? Yeah. Is he you know, powerful? Sounds like he might be, Major. I don't know. Yes, yeah, it's it... to hear that narrative and so on. That's just heartbreaking. Yeah. I, mean, I believe that life, you know. I do. I believe in karma. Life is a real bitch. So what goes on will come around. He will get his comments at some stage if he continues behaving that way. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer they all will. And uh, as I explained on my show the other day, um, there is a lot of like, you know, things happening in the background, um, not just here but in Australia. Um, as you know, Ricardo Bosi uh, rightly mentioned that you know he thinks things will be a lot better very quickly as people resigning, there's people being taken out. Uh, the CEOs stepping down all over the place. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, quite impeccable timing, really, with this Maxwell case going on in the in the background. That uh, again, it, the the eyes of the public are kind of steered elsewhere, so they don't see what's really going on there. But it's got such a big part to play, and everything that's going on. Um, it, it is like we're living in the Matrix, isn't it? Uh, at the minute, it, it, it really is. Um, what would you? What would you like to see? Um, what would you like? What was one of the first things you'd like to see implemented uh, in the healthcare sector like, as soon as possible to, you know, help us improve the current situation? What, what would you think would be the main key things? 
Um, you don't want to align my answers with this question, AJ. I mean, but the health service was at tipping point prior to 2020. And there's no one single intervention or policy is going to reverse that. Mm. And at this stage, that's literally, even without the current coercive policy and so on, it's already firefighting. Yeah. My, you know, my, my view and my thoughts, my prediction is that, uh, you know, a lot of people will suffer. And even with any additional resources in terms of finance, you haven't got the, you haven't got these well, human resources to do the work. Mm. NHS, in a, you know, when I, before, before I resigned from my job three or four years ago, and so on, we were doing a lot of workforce planning and so on, we knew at the time the health services, you know, lacks roughly around about 10 to 15% of the capacity needed, even just stay, even just to stay even kill. Wow. At that stage, we knew that around about 19 and 20, another additional 15 to 20% of the uh, workforce will retire. Mm. So that deficit goes up to around about 30 to 40%. And you know, the, the health service with such a large scale um, involvement and so on has a very fine margin. And if you go beyond 10%, and that's the tipping point where you can't, you simply do not have the capacity or ability to reverse. Mm. Yeah. So I'm afraid that's a given the given this were the context before the pandemic. And now we have capacity reduction policies, bed closure, and uh, you know this habit of sending staff away from the health service. And the redeployment of uh, and, you know, the needed resources from the, 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 the condition that actually save or make people better to treating COVID, which is nonsense. And it comes next April, and uh, you know, if the House of Lords you know, does not challenge the bill, you're going to lose another significant amount. I mean, currently we get around about 100K and so on, 100K out of 600,000 uh, uh, workforce, and that's a significant amount. Yeah, that's you, huge. You simply do not. I think I don't think the public understand this. As you stand before the pandemic, health service was on the way down, and now all this has literally just accelerated the, tra the trajectory. Mm. Do you think that's? Um, do you think that's like what what the actual these governments slash elitist globalists want with our NHS? They want it to collapse to privatize it. Um. Uh, it's okay. Um, I think it's easy to have lots of different theories and so on. And uh, I'll try to avoid theories if I can. Mm. And tend to use patterns to make some, you know, tangible prediction. It's easier to break a service without political interference or declared political interferences. Mm -hmm. So. You know, so for example, that we know in order to fund the health service properly and so on, you need roughly between 12 to 15% of national GDP to do so. The UK has always invested under 10%. Okay, so 110 billion pounds per year and so on is still some 40 billion pounds short of what's needed to have an even kill service. Okay, so all this, you know, Andrew Langsley, and, uh, and a Jeremy, a Jeremy Hunt, and a now basically every health secretary always do the same. They, in real time, don't increase the spending, so basically it's deflationary. Has that deflationary effect? 
And then they usually give you something which is minuscule, five billion pounds here. And in the background, they, tell, they take around another 20 billion. So there's a, there's a persistent negative funding to the health service and so on. But because it's not obvious, and it's not, it's not, and it's not a headline and news. Yes. People, don't, people, don't, people, well, people don't realize actually, they, they very kind of a, a covertly reduce funding to such an extent. You get, you know, like any services really, and any business, you know, as you get to a certain stage where things are really, really bad, reform becomes a necessity, not a political drive. Hmm. And I'm not going to say about that. Yeah, no, 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 I, I, I totally get it. It is absolutely a mess. And, you know, I'm speaking to senior nurses and sort of GPs and, and other doctors, um, specialists like each week. Um, and I think the longer this is going on, obviously, with you know the, the constant threats of them losing their jobs and, and the things they're actually seeing day in, day out, come through the door at the minute, um, you know, there's no wonder why so many people are, you know, refusing, you know, the vaccination. You know, I, I, meet, I meet a lot of GPs and doctors on these, uh, these marches now. You know, they don't just turn up to go and make some friends. They turn up because they, they're very concise in their beliefs and what they're seeing day in day out and that's what a lot of people don't realize you know a lot of people who are very pro what's going on and you know my gps write about this and follow the science etc etc actually if you take a stop for a minute and just think what these paramedics and these nurses are actually seeing day in day out and the sheer increase in blood clots strokes heart attacks not just in adults, but now in children. So as I was explaining the other day, I, I had a phone call. Someone reached out to me from a fairly local hospital, a senior nurse who's actually leaving because she can't stand to see any more of what she saw. Um, they had 11 children come into the hospital in two weeks with strokes. Like, when has that ever been heard of in our lifetime? Like, it's always been a thing. And they're trying to normalise it now by making heart attacks and stuff in young people be it like a normal thing you know we're seeing footballers i think it was like seven in five days or something like collapse on on the field or in training um, 108 fifa registered coaches and players have collapsed and died in six months but people say oh you know it happens all the time but you know if you're quick to sit there and look at a graph that chris whitty and neil ferguson have done for you and go oh yeah i get that then you'll happily look at a graph and see the massive hundreds of percent increase in these cardiac arrests and, and and if you read the data the same you know you can't argue that and people look very quick to go oh you know you don't blame it on the vaccines but let's let's take for safe for a minute it isn't that it still needs investigating absolutely absolutely and uh, you're actually right and that's uh, it's very easy to jump to a conclusion but we you know as a as a responsible and a critical thinker we really have to consider some of the main drivers, really. Yeah. And I will, I'll keep on explaining to people who are interested in listening to me. So, so last year, we had quite a few different factors. Okay, So we had non-pharmacological intervention, locking down. EMJ said more than 20% of deaths was not due to infectious disease. Okay. We have mass mandates, which, are, which unfavorably affected those most vulnerable people, elderly people, COPD, bacteria yeah. Okay. And we have this, you know, uh, we have this sort of drop in uh, economy and the GDP is highly linked 
to the health of the population. Mm. Yes, we do have infectious disease. Okay, so that was last year. Excess mortality was pretty bad. And we know majority of that excess mortality is not due to infectious disease. Yeah. This year, we also add in experimental therapy. And guess what? 2021 is worse than 2020. Already. And the sad thing about it is that if you take away the respiratory season information and you look at summer season and so on, and the incredible thing that you see, which is heartbreaking, is that the excess mortality is not occurring in over 65, over 80 anymore. The excess mortality actually occurs under 65 and 14. These are the people who don't usually die. Mm. And you have to ask questions. So last year we have four main factors. This year we have five. And this year we are worse than every other year except 20, uh, 2009 and 10. Why? Yeah, again, but I think people come from a place of emotion and fear because you know they, they've personally made that choice um, over the last few months. You know, and I say it every episode pretty much like there's there's no wrong or right. You know, there's in this, it's like people do what they think is the right thing at the time for them and their family. And and that's the whole beauty of having choice and you know part of a democracy and doing what you think is the correct thing. Um doesn't always mean it's gonna be the most beneficial long term. So for those who have you know gone out and got vaccinated to travel is a hot, you know, a, a temp, you know, a, a one week holiday, a two week holiday, more important than your overall health. Absolutely not. But again, a critical thinker would realize that. Um, but again, when you've got fear and panic like shoved into your face day in, day out through propaganda, through media, um, through friends and family, you know, through peer pressure and, and stuff like that, that's when people go out and actually make the decisions they do. So, you know, I'd imagine those people who did get a jab made the decision out of emotion fear um and anything else you know not you know any small population would have been sprinting down the street you know screaming jab me jab me um and we've all got these you know the people in our friends and family that have done the same thing um but what we're seeing now like cannot be ignored you know the doctors and nurses paramedics are seeing it every day the police to speak to at these protests are now seeing everything for what it is they speak to paramedics on their shifts. You know, they report into massive increase in, you know, heart attack strokes, blood clots in young people, especially under 40. Uh, I personally know 11 males under 40 now that have had a uh, heart, heart attack or myocarditis. Well, AJ, I mean, this is the first time in my entire middle career where that I'm actually treating patients at home in their 40s and 50s dying of heart attack, where it's potentially completely treatable. Yeah. And then, no, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna mention something. You know, that's 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 quite relevant. I mean, as a, a every single human being will have a threshold where that they will change their mind. Okay, and that threshold doesn't happen easily. You usually, have to have some kind of a really bad or adverse event. Usually, one or two that has to affect you personally mm. or around you so significantly before you break your belief. Yeah. And I think we're coming to the stage now where there's a cumulative effect since December, where that's more and by you know by by probability and purely statistical probability, and that 
impact will start to compound. So most people will start to feel some effect. Mm. And football, you know, uh, uh, sports and so on is probably one of those biggest influence on people's view, you know, because, you know, when it, when it comes to family members, you know, if you come from a big family, you probably hear one or two, oh, you know, uncle, you know, uncle, uncle Ben or, you know, auntie Joan and so on. Ah, wasn't that sad? You're far removed from that process. When it's your parents or your sibling, you feel it more. But that's not happening to the vast majority yet. Yeah, I think that's the key word, yet. <clears throat> Do you so, think it's uh, something that you're gonna, we're going to see a lot of, given the massive increase in conditions now, uh, autoimmune disease problems that we're seeing a very large increase of across the board? Um, I'm going to speak to Dr. Ryan Cole a bit more about this when he comes on the show. Um, but we're seeing it across the board in the conversations I'm having on a weekly basis uh, in the uh, in the doctor's groups that you know that we're in they're, they're reporting large increases of it do you think the winter in the northern hemisphere is going to be quite a testing one for a lot of people um in terms of the actual uh, vaccine related uh, uh, adverse outcomes though i think uh, dr ryan Cole is a fantastic resource resource and there are many other people like robert Moreau and uh, and uh, and, uh, and so on and uh, Eden, they're very, they're much better positioned to answer that. But as a, as a frontline, as a frontline clinician, there are some issues to consider. The first one is that we simply don't know enough yet. Not enough time has passed for anyone to say comfortable, uh, to, to say with some confidence that things will not happen. Things will definitely happen. So with with passage of time, we will, so we'll get to know more and more. The second thing is that it's really re irresponsible to mix politics, to make medicine politic uh, uh, politicized. Mm -hmm. The third thing is that we're facing not just COVID or vaccine issue now, we're facing seasonal issue, we're facing a whole raft of political hangover. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That cascade effect and so on. And mm -hmm. so I'm not, I'm not optimistic that this winter is going to be, we're going to escape the winter likely. In fact, I, I, I suspect just by looking at the pattern now, we're probably facing one of the darkest winter mm. in terms of adverse outcome for the general population. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, it does play, you know, I'm not going to lie, it does play on my mind, you know, as somebody who, you know, you well know, deep cares deeply about humanity. Uh, this is what, you know, this, the show is pretty much about, you know, the, the people we have on, the message is you know trying to help as many people as possible and uh, it is a deep concern of mine um you know we've all got family and friends and and not not everybody's faced trauma or seen evil in the face before and it's uh it's you know i, I wouldn't say fortunately but you know i've been the whole, in the whole point of sharing experiences is that you try to you try to stop and prevent that yes to the rest of the population mm -hmm. One of the key um, aspects I want to cover with you today is that whilst everything seems very doom and gloom and so on, uh, but it should, you know, it, 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 you know, it needn't be that way. Really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Strategies that we can stay well to cope with any challenges coming up. And I think we do need to keep uh, getting us well through, through people a line of hope <clears throat> and to remain positive to cope with it. And, uh, you know, I got quite i've got loads of different strategies you know if people say look you know what can we do actually one of the questions before what can we do to the health service that will make a difference that i should have said look 
one of the biggest difference that we can make now in the immediate <clears throat> presence and future is by getting early treatment on board. That will start to change the outcome. And so we can't change what's going on in the background, but we can change the immediate outcome. <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, if you don't mind, it's so all I can share with you about, you know, how to best optimize your metabolic health, because we know that's one thing that really does influence your outcome, whether it's COVID. Yeah, absolutely. It's basically metabolic outcome has such an impact on your overall mortality anyway and your, your well-being. So, you know, I mean, um, I, I'm very happy. I'm very keen to that, to make sure that we explore that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, go right ahead. Okay. So, so the first thing about early treatment is that, uh, uh, you know, NICE, National Institute of Clinical Excellence and so on, they did a review of all the early treatments and so on. They basically said, uh, no evidence, insufficient evidence, da, 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 da. They basically excluded everything really without, <clears throat> without much due diligence or attention to it. Mm-hmm. And the only conclusion that you can draw from NICE review last year is that, oh, by the way, you know, uh, get plenty of rest, and uh, make sure you hydrate. And uh, if you shall become sick, uh, seek emergency help. And basically, they take a watchful uh, approach, stance, which is completely utter irresponsible and un- unconscious. Mm. You, know, you don't, you don't, you don't wait for a patient who has got pneumonia walking through your door. Oh, hello. So what have you got then? I've got a cough, and I've got a bit breathless, and so on. And go, oh, let me have to listen to you. Ah, you've got a bit of infection there, but it's not too bad. So I'm not going to treat you just yet. Go away. Let me know when you can't breathe. <laughs> mm. So, I mean, you don't have to be a medic to understand that sentiment. That yeah. behavior is absolutely nonsense. And this is exactly what we're doing in, in this country. Mm. We give people monitoring ability. So, you know, there's put in an uh, oxygen monitoring machine called uh, um, oxygen oximetry. So we give that to them. Those people who's got possible, like possible COVID, it's not cough or respiratory symptom, you give them that monitor and say, we're going to monitor you. And that's it. You go home, we'd ring you every day. How's it going, by the way? Oh, bit, about the same. How's it going, by the way? Oh, I don't feel very well. I'll, I'll ring you again tomorrow. How's it going, by the way? I'm really bad. Now, I can't speak. You better go to A&E. What the heck was that about? Mm. You have all this opportunity to, uh, to offer early intervention and so on. Mm. Yeah, in the UK, there's no cl- clinical will. I mean, there's a lot of uh, fantastic groups, things like heart, but they're doing all this fantastic work and so on, but completely ignored. The Americans, the FLCCC, the Frontline Clinician Alliance and so on, they've done some fantastic work, completely ignored and so on. And then people get very upset, oh, but you can't get epileptic, people get struck off and so on. But actually, you don't mean they know that. There's such a wealth of information. So for example, if you're low risk and so on, get some vitamin on board, and then that is your early treatment. If you've got risk factors and so on, we can use, we don't have to use ivermectin. We can use things like uh, from uh, fluoxetine along with an you know, antimicrobial and uh, an antiviral, other antiviral. We can get early treatment on board to people. I haven't lost one single person in the last 20 months with early treatment. And yet I'm the only person in my group that I know within COVID hub that does it. And people say, so what's going on here then? We need to treat them early. So, I mean, Dr. Peter McCulloch's been uh, obviously doing it for a long time. Dr. Kat Lindley, she's been doing it the same. And 
she uh, actually, um, for the ladies and gentlemen uh, watching, uh, she wrote a great article, which I've posted on my website, uh, mrajroberts.com forward slash community. And you'll see a bit of a cocktail of vitamins that she's put down, which uh, is for the use of early treatment, but also a bit of a detox of people that have had the COVID vaccination. So it's like vitamin D, C, quercetin, um, zinc, uh, NAC, things like that. Um, are they the sort of similar things you'd recommend? Oh, Kat's been great, and she's done you know a wonderful amount of work mm. um, to come to early treatment protocol and so on. And uh, you know, I've, I, I'm, I'm, I'm acquainted with Kat anyway, and we've been sharing different uh, uh, different protocols. Mm. And this, really, I mean, you know, when things are bad, you don't just leave a bad situation to get worse. Mm. Take action. I, th I think um, I think that's a general way that we do things here in this country and other Western countries is people just operate a hundred miles an hour in life and then deal with something when it goes wrong. They don't think about, you know, risk management for their own health. Do they? People just plow on, they get up in the morning, they, you know, go to their job, which most people hate, um, you know, come home stressed, sit down, usually eat some poor, poor type of processed food, get up in the morning, do it all again. You know, and it's kind of like, and, and, and kind of live to pay your mortgage. And it, it, people just don't pay attention to their own health in that respect. To the, they only do when they do something when it goes wrong. So, you know, I know tons of people have been smokers for years, and then they go, they, they quit smoking once they've got lung cancer. <laughs> so, I mean, there, there is a silver lining in all this. Yeah. Know, that you know, you, we start to notice that actually more and more people are actually paying attention to all health now, taking control. You know, previously, like you said, that there's a general tendency to stereotype that the general population does, you know, behave in a way that the the focus control comes within external sources, mm. so external locus of control. Without, I do what I like. When things go wrong, someone else can sort it out for me. But now I think we start to see more people, you know, question actually. You know, things are not being so great, and uh, you know what can I do to improve my, you know, to improve my chances and uh, well-being, and that's a really welcome change. Yeah, yeah. So on, so that's not all bad. I mean, I suppose that we do, we do need some kind of a silver lining in every adversity and atrocity and so on. Mm. I mean, not going to compensate for what's going on, and uh, but it does go some way to start perhaps the next phase of how people see their well-being in, mm. in, in, in yeah okay. <laughs> okay so early treatment really is absolutely critical you don't have to have ivermectin or chlor uh, hydroxychloroquine there's still plenty <clears throat> that we can do you know even if you do nothing that's prescribable just the fact that you put people on zinc and vitamin d those two have nearly similar impact to ivermectin anyway, yeah, on their own, yeah, and so on. And how much is vitamin D D three uh, in a health shop? That's four thousand to uh, six thousand uh, uh, international units per day. You're not talking about hundreds. You're talking about a few quid. Mm. How much is zinc? Forty milligrams from a health shop, and so on. Again, you know, under tenner. Mm. I mean, what's twenty quid to your life? What's twenty pounds to your survival? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's can, one. 
yeah, well, people don't see it like that, they do they? That is a, a real investment. Whereas people spend the 20 quid on McDonald's and alcohol, you know, and I'm not, I'm not speaking for everyone in the population, but you know, we just need to get past that. And you you did say there has been quite a shift in people really taking control of their own health. And I think one of the key terms that I've seen more times than ever in the last 18 months, especially from people, is people learning and understanding all about their, the immune system. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, if I may move on to my next topic, is how to improve our overall, overall health and well-being in order that we can cope with any further challenges uh, better. So if you, if you, you know, if you sort of be really honest and think about what's happened to our general health in the last 40 years, there's probably three things that is the main driver of most of our ills, okay? The first one is increasing in metabolic syndrome. The second one is decimation of our microbiome, which has really, you know, a severe impact on our health, immune response, mental health, cancer risk. And, and also, that's that we we don't really fully appreciate how depleted of nutrients our modern diet is. Mm. We're fed, but we are malnourished. Yeah. Those three things require attention. They're not actually that difficult to do. Most people think, oh, but that's impossible. I mean, come on. I mean, you're not really going to tell me that. You're going to make some suggestion to me today. I can go out and improve my health instantaneously over the next few days and few weeks. That's exactly what I'm saying here. Okay. So I'm going to start by saying the reason why those three things are shot to pieces is because modern living, man, you know, not, you know, not, not just blokes, but man as a homo sapiens, as a species and so on, has been extremely arrogant in thinking that artificial manufactured support is what our physiology needs. That's absolutely nonsense. If that's the case, if that's the case, we'll be living to 110 without medication, without diseases and so on. Okay. Back to that, that's not happening. We'll make you think, okay, our human biology or evolution up until 10,000 years ago, it means that we are a lot taller, average over six or 10, brain size about 200 mils bigger than what we are now. Why? Because we evolved as nomadic, fat, and hunter, uh, hunter-gatherer. Mm. We eat, we eat fat, okay? And around about 10,000 years ago, all that changed because humans become domesticated. We start to farm, we start to eat grain, and so on, so we shrank. Mm. Our brain smaller, okay? And our health got worse. Well, forget about that. Mm. If you pay homage to our evolution biology, that's where that's the standpoint is. When you cut out all the grains, your metabolic syndrome disappears. It doesn't, don't, just, doesn't take months and years. You cut out grain, literally within two to four weeks, your metabolic syndrome starts to reverse. Yeah. If you cut out all the franken food, as I call it, and so on, all the manufactured oil, all the high, you know, highly processed food, anything that has more than two ingredients is processed food. Anything that has five ingredients is ultra-processed food. Don't touch them. Mm. They'll kill you prematurely. <clears throat> okay. That's um, what they want, though, isn't it? I mean, without making it sound so sinister, like the world, Western world, is set up now for us to rely on, on Big Pharma and things to make us feel better. So we, we get all these diseases 
and need all this treatment. But if everybody was healthy, like as you explained there, taking those precautions, there would be no place for these large companies, which are literally, you know, ruling the world. So whether that's through processed food, tobacco, alcohol, you know, all the things that are vice, um, it's, you know, if, they, if you removed all that, like we would be living to 110, 120, 130, which, you know, is, humans are supposed to live to, aren't they? You know, in, in a proper healthy living off the land. Well, we know, we know physiologically speaking that we can look at the mm. other zones and so on. So certain areas still fit and so on in Crete, in, in Okinawa, and in, the, uh, in very different blue zones of the, of the world and so on. We do know you can live to a rival old age but still physically fit. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, you know, going back to you know, this, uh, all this industry and so on, it's, it's, it's very much a subscription model, really. You have to create the demand in order to benefit from the supply and so on. If the population is healthy, there will be no demand and supply will dry up mm-hmm. and so on. But, and again, I'm not here to talk about that. I'm, I'm more interested just to, to list some very simple, straightforward mm-hmm. things that you would implement today. <clears throat> So we talked about grain, we talked about processed food, we talked about those franken oils. Oil is really, 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 I couldn't express enough, it's really detrimental to, men, uh, to men's health. <clears throat> okay, so all these oil, things like uh, vegetable oil, sunflower oil, granite oil, and so on, and spreadable butter, margarine, and so on, all these are processed oils. What does that mean? When you process things during the manufacturing process, you have to either heat it, pressurize it, use chemical, or bleach it. Where on human biology manual do you see those four things in our evolution of our Okay, so all this franken oil oxidize, they become rancid, they trigger horrible immune response, they destroy your gut, they destroy your microbiome. Okay, and I can't stress how harmful they are. Dairy products, you know, what's all this about? Cows producing gallons and gallons of milk where they're only supposed to produce enough to feed the calves. Mm. So human has come along and uh, genetically or bred them and so on. So the outcome is very, it's going to be unfavorable because when you start to have massive outputs and so on, the quality is going to be poor. The, the, the milk protein involved and so on, in order for them to produce such huge amounts, they're going to produce different type of constituents within the milk and they just happen that the proteins can be really detrimental. You know, the, 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 the traditional uh, ancient breed like Jersey, cow, highland, cow, goat and sheep and so on, low volume, not very profitable, but we evolved with them for, you know, over 70,000 years. We know how to digest it. This modern and the Holstein Franken milk and so on, it's going to just destroy your microbiome. Okay. Plant, vegetarian, vegan, I'm sorry to be controversial, you're killing yourselves there. Okay. Plants don't want to be eaten, they'll produce chemicals to stop you from eating them. Mm. So all the lectin, all the oxalate, and all the other phytochemicals and so on, if you eat in huge amounts, guess what it's going to do? It's going to pr- produce too much toxic effect, mm. destroy the microbiome, make your gut leak, cause chronic inflammatory reaction, and anything that causes chronic inflammatory reaction will drive your metabolic syndrome. Can you see how they're all very intimately linked? Mm. I think it's, uh, just on that, when you mentioned vegan and vegetarian, um, again classic marketing 101 and how they kind of reel these uh you know these genres in is um people go oh i'm going to get veggie sausages veggie burgers and all this kind of stuff because i'm not eating meat be like well just look at the ingredients you know they're absolutely rammed with processed 
nonsense. The same for, for celiacs and that as well, isn't it? Like everything's all about the packaging now. So my, my dad's celiac and one of my brothers is as well. And um, they are, you know, obviously you have to shop, kind of shop carefully. Um, but again, I've you know, you look at the ingredients and stuff that's in there in replace of like gluten and stuff like that. Again, it's just loads of uh, processed chemicals and e-numbers. And I mean, the, the, the principle here is that go natural. Mm. Like processed food and so on. So all this hype about gluten and so on. When they take out gluten and so on, they have to substitute something else. Mm. Processed food. Yeah. And it's not just gluten that causes issue. It's gluten gliding, regenerate gluten-y and lectin in food. Okay, you take out one and then you add in more of the others. Yeah. I just work out actually, it ain't gonna help you. Yeah. Same as fat-free foods, isn't it? It's like, oh, buy these fat-free yogurts, but then it's just loads more sugar in it. Okay, so that that's kind of a handily lead, uh, sort of lead me on to my next bit. So, you know, you asked me to take away all these things and so on, which is why you all the time. What the hell am I gonna eat? Now, remember, human only got to our stature, our stature because we ate fat. We have access to bone marrow, we have access to thymus, we have access to brain, we have access to all the meat other animals don't eat. That can't get to, okay? If you, go, if you watch the wild animal and so on, what do they do? Once they're done a kill, a lion done a kill and so on, they don't eat the muscle. They go straight to the liver, the pancreas, and the fat around the gut because that's the nourishing bit. Okay, so the fact that the fat has been demonized since the 70s, 60s and 70s and so on is the biggest disservice to human well-being. Okay, without decent fat, okay, fat coming in very different form. Okay, coming in saturated fats, which you need for energy, for all your cell formation. You have your monounsaturated fat, which is omega-3, omega-6. 80% of your brain is full of omega-3, but our modern diet is mostly omega-6. Okay. You have your polyunsaturated fat and so on, which is are the, are the fat that your body uses to produce hormones, signal molecules, and so on. If you have all this bad stuff without the good stuff, your body will react in a reciprocal way. It's going to send out bad signals. If you have bad hormone response, you're going to have bad outcome, metabolic syndrome. Period. Mm, fantastic, yeah. You know, so the worst thing can happen to a human being is go low fat. In ladies, if you if you put in ladies, if you put them on low fat diets, they have higher all cause mortality compared to normal diets or fat. Mm. So they have higher stroke risk, higher cancer risk, and higher mental health suicide and so on. Is that a good deal? I don't think so. <laughs> in chaps, okay, if you don't, you know, if you don't have if you don't have enough fat. He starts to use carbs to replace your energy. You're going to end up with metabolic syndrome with a worse cholesterol profile. Fat reduce fat gives you good cholesterol. Carb gives you bad cholesterol. Simple. Argue until we, you know, people can argue until they're blue in the face. But the simple fact is, after 40 years of research, there are only two things that matters in your cholesterol profile. How much HDL, which is the good cholesterol, mm -hmm. and how much cholesterol you have. Okay, so the lower the triglyceride, the better. The higher the HDL, the better. And guess what? Improves your HDL, eating good fat. Guess what makes your triglyceride worse? Eating carb. So it doesn't take again. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out what you need to do. Mm -hmm. And obviously, couple this with a good amount of exercise. 
plenty of hydration, um, good sleep. You're on to you're on to a winner. Um, in terms of uh, the, the diet kind of stuff, obviously people who are watching this now thinking like, well, uh, I need to cut all these foods out. Like, what do I do? Because obviously there's not many people that really that are quite adverse to, you know, good nutrition, good nutritional practices. What, where would you suggest people do a bit more research or is there, uh, do you have any articles or anything else like that you, you could share? Um, I don't have any articles myself and so on. I'm, uh, I'm too busy practicing and so on. But there are loads of good resources and so on. So um, I tend to point people to is, uh, uh, three other clinicians who have done fantastic work. And so Professor Tim Noakes, a South African uh, elite sports scientist and so on. And he's written books and he's done lots of lectures around low-carb, high fat diet and how you can use diet to sort to really manipulate your metabolic uh, you know, flexibility to improve your well well-being okay in the uk there's a, there's a chap called david unwin he's a gp in the northwest he's called the low carb doctor what's his, name? what's his last name sorry uh, uh, david uh, unwin u-n-w-i-n <clears throat> okay so he's, he's he's known as the low carb doctor and he's helped a lot of these diabetic and hypertensive patients reverse their condition simply by making some nutritional changes. <clears throat> and uh, so we've got someone from the UK. He's quite active on the training and educational side. <clears throat> and there's an there's Australian chap called Paul Mason. And again, he's done huge amounts of educational material lectures and so on. And you know, the, 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 the stuff they've done is much better than what I could ever dream of producing. And so on, and then they're all quite short uh, lectures, run about 30 40 minutes. You know, it gives you very important, succinct summary of the science behind it and what you need to do. So, and uh, so th these three people are a good starting point. You know, obviously, once you start to drill down the, uh, the nitty gritty, you can go down a real rabbit hole, and there are lots of other people involved as well. <clears throat> And in terms of in terms of dietary uh, uh, dietary change and so on, I tend to use I tend to point people to a real meal revolution, Bantam diet, because that's a good starting point. And it's not perfect, but it's still about a thousand percent better than the standardized Western diet. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we only got to look at. Yeah, I'll send you one for your audience, AJ. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and guys, I'll put it in the show notes, absolutely, so you've got the references there. Um, what I'm going to probably do from here is uh, I'll, I'll actually see if I can, I'm going to do a bit of research on these individuals and if they've got any kind of good articles and stuff, I'll actually put them on my website under the uh, medical and nutrition side of things in the community section of my forum, which I mentioned earlier, guys and girls, mrajroberts.com forward slash community. Um, Dr. Chan. Before we finish, yes. can I just add Things. Yeah, of course. <clears throat> and, and another another thing that's uh, that's been uh, very misunderstood is the utilization of salt okay. as part of their health and well-being. Okay, and salt was demonized very earlier because of rat models about hypertensive, about hypertension, and so on. But we know now salt is actually vital in your good health. Without mm -hmm. salt, potassium, calcium, and phosphate, and phosphorus, and so on, you know your bone health will suffer. Without your bone health, your bone marrow can't maturate and uh, mature, and then that will have impact on your immune system. Okay, so decent amount of salt is important. Two grams usually for an average person 
is must. And then, you know, we briefly talked about uh, solar depletion of, uh, of nutrients and so on. So, you know, things like vitamin A, E, B, and so on is absolutely shockingly poor. And zinc, and uh, zinc, uh, copper, <clears throat> selenium, and chromium, they're all important parts of our essential minerals for decent health. You can't get up from the diet, so you need to supplement it. Mm. So, oh, supplementation is absolutely nonsense. But why say it's that if you, we take out all this nutrient from our soil, there's no way of putting that back. So you have to put it back somehow <clears throat> and so on. So supplementation with zinc, B compound and, uh, and vitamin K, they can be helpful. And, this, and also minerals such as zinc and multivitamins involving calcium, magnesium and so on in certain amounts they can also help. So it's not something to be dismissed easily. It's purely based on the fact that our agricultural process is so destructive to our overall nutrition. So once it's been taken up, it has to be put back. Mm. That's enough for me, you know, AJ. No, it makes, it makes, you know, makes total sense. And I mean, I'm, I'm quite fortunate, you know, obviously strength and conditioning coaching and that was, was obviously a big part of my background when I was in the military and uh, nutrition, again, big part of it. But, you know, not everybody knows that. And that's what I really like to do on the show, you know, is obviously talk about the key issues that we're, we're facing right now, but also solutions to many people's problems and solutions to knowledge that people don't have. Um, again, you know, every episode I try to bring some kind of knowledge bombs out for people. Um, so to share what you shared there, uh, Peter, it's absolutely fantastic. And I, I really, really, truly appreciate it, as I'm sure all the people listening in uh, from around the world will, you know, truly appreciate as well, because it's appropriate to everybody. It doesn't matter whether you're in Australia, New Zealand, UK, Canada, America, Europe, you know, it's, it's all relevant because we all have these kind of Western society diets pushed on you really through advertisement, through the TV, through uh, social media. Um, you know, you only have to look during the lockdowns besides the queues outside McDonald's um, to see. And again, if we can just, if we can just add that bit, bit of knowledge to anybody really that's watching to, you know, that makes some subtle changes that may be needed within their lifestyle um, and hopefully them see the benefits of it in a short space of time, you know, we're winning. And that's the whole point of the show is to help as many people as possible, not just, you know, understand what's, what's going on politically and um, from a global agenda point of view, but within our own health, because again, um, we can clearly see in every government right now, uh, the word health has been completely turned on its head. Um, the people driving so-called health policies have got nothing to do with health and any background in health. Um, so I think we, as individuals, we need to take massive responsibility uh, you know, for, within ourselves and on our own shoulders to look after our own health and not rely on the BBC or or you know politicians to tell us what we need to do um you know like uh, it's people like yourself peter sharing the, that value that is, is truly going to help people so i really encourage everybody watching so please you know like share subscribe and share the fantastic information that peter you know shared with us today um share it with your family and friends even if it's just like the, the health part you know part of this uh, towards the end of the episode you know, if we can help one person, you can help one person. Imagine the ripple effect. And, you know, going back to why I keep asking people to share the podcast with at least one person is because the ripple effect it's now having worldwide is happening and having a real positive effect because of that. 
just that one little share. So please, guys, um, you know, please keep doing what you're doing. Please keep sharing the show. Please make sure you follow Peter. Where can uh, where can people find you if they want more information? So um, I'm quite active on social media. So uh, people can find me on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a website. Uh, I have a website called um, uh, Principal Venture Health Care Service. It's www.pvhs.org.uk. And uh, so uh, I get a lot of requests for uh, information, advice, and guidance and so on. And uh, so, yeah, uh, you know, if you've got any questions, ask away. I'm going to answer straight away. I'm not going to say, oh, look, I'm going to be instantaneous uh, bot chat and reply to you just like that. And uh, But most people get a considered reply for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, like you say, uh, AJ, I mean, it's not, you know, individually that we can affect individuals one at a time. But the ripple and compound effect over time is significant. And I think the important the important thing here is, you know, never stop trying and you know, perpetually, you know, fighting the perpetually is we're aiming to improve our situation. Mm. So, and uh, I think, the, you know, as, as more and more people start to sort of toe that mentality, and then we can still, we, we, there's still a beacon of hope for us. I mean, let's not be negative about it. And so on, humanity always prevails eventually, even through the worst, worst atrocious time. And uh, so, you know, we, we will rise from the ashes from all this, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, uh, atrocities or, you know, unfortunate events. And we need to stay positive, we need to stay healthy, and we need to stay purposeful. And then we need to, you know, keep on supporting the community that will create for one another, because those four things are key. Mm, absolutely, mate. And, uh, you know, community is a huge, huge part of uh, my ethos. You know, my, my mission statement is building a you know large community of people worldwide that can you know help each other out lift each other up see each other win uh, and as i say it time and time again it's because we're stronger together um you know that's my mantra um and you know i've only got to look inside myself my own experiences from in the military to you know there's proof in the pudding there when you're on operations you know you don't go you know you don't go fighting the enemy like uh, just one person you know you do it everything's as a team uh, it's a united effort uh, and again, that's what we need to do now. Um, not only standing shoulder to shoulder together, you know, st- standing toe to toe against this evil that we're facing uh, all around the world, but within ourselves uh, to look after our own health, uh, to give the best version of us, um, you know, time and time again. So like myself, you know, if I didn't look after m- myself, I'm not giving people the best version of me. Um, and you've got to take a look at yourself within and ask what you can do better. And we all can, we can all do something better every single day just that little bit better there's no such thing as perfect trust me um you know even cristiano ronaldo who's just scored his 800th and 801st goal for united he's in his eyes would be he'll tell you he's far from the finished perfect article but he keeps relentlessly turning up week in week out his first at training last out the door you know he's he, he invests in himself through external physios and dietitians and all these experts to keep him at the top and keep him at the best. But we could, you know, we all, all can have our own version of that by just tapping into all this knowledge from all these experts and people we have on the show, you know, to, to make ourselves and help ourselves to be that just that little bit better in those areas where we might have uh, weaknesses that we need to work on. Um, Dr. Chan, Dr. Chan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, you know, I appreciate you're a very, very busy man and 
you've got, like you're saying, you're, you're practicing yourself. Um, I, I really wish, you know, people can take a, a lot of the information that you've shared with us today and implement it immediately into their own lives for the benefit of their own health. And as I mentioned, to give the best version of themselves to them and their family. Um, guys, if you've enjoyed the show as ever, you know the fee, share it with one person. You know, I don't run ads. Share it with one person, at least one person, and you can help them immediately just by introducing the awesome knowledge bombs that Peter has shared with us today. Um, but from me and Peter, look after yourselves, and I will see you very, very shortly on the AJ Roberts Show.